He konai purangi tēnei nā te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. Kia ora koutou, I'm Philippa Tolley and welcome to Insight. This week, three murders in Hawke's Bay in just over a year, each carried out by a local youth connected to one of the region's most deprived areas, Flaxmere. He will always have the mark of your murderer forever and I think that's extremely tragic. In the last week, 15-year-old Hami Hanara was jailed for life for murdering a rough sleeper in Flaxmere. He was 14 at the time, making him one of the country's youngest killers. Disturbingly, he joins three other teenage murderers sentenced in Hawke's Bay in the past 12 months. The community could hardly believe the crimes, let alone understand them. But what went wrong in the lives of these young people and what's being done to prevent it from happening again? Annika Smith went to Hawke's Bay in search of answers. So this is it. And all these were bought by the people. It's got some flowers, yeah. a tree, some tinsel and candles. Now this is a popo here. This was bought here by some kind people. Just as a mark of respect. It's a drizzly, overcast day when Moiwaka Hinipari, known as Nanny Moiwaka, shows me Kelly Donner's memorial. It lies on the same patch of grass he did 11 months ago after he was stabbed in the throat by a 14-year-old. Nanny Moiwaka can see the place where it happened from her kitchen window. That's never happened here like that in Flaxmere, ever. At that age, that was a shock to the whole community. It was really, really a terrible shock. Yes, they've had different... Um, things that have happened, but not to that extreme. They touched the people, something unreal. Kelly Donner was known as a kind, gentle drifter who pushed trolleys at the local New World supermarket. After he died, more than 200 people from the Flaxmere community gathered to bless the site. Images from that night show women holding young children in their arms as candles were lit and flowers laid over a sheet covering the blood-stained earth. It rained hard that night, but Nanny Moiwaka couldn't sleep. She was thinking about Mr Donner's blood trapped under the sheet. For her, the rain didn't happen by accident. She knew the blood needed to be washed away and embraced by Papa Tuwanuku, the Mother Earth. My nephew was awake at that hour of the morning and we were thinking the same. We need to go and move that while the rain is here to let it go back to Papa Tuwanuku properly, not covered. The blood... So he and his son and myself moved all the flowers off. We'd not seen the spot and it was quite emotional, quite quite a lot of blood. Very emotional for my feelings and it was very, very sad. Kelly Donner, who was 40, died behind the Flaxmere Tavern after he was stabbed four times. His murderer was 14-year-old Hami Hanada, who was this week jailed for life with a minimum non-parole period of 10 years. The encounter started amicably, with Mr Donner loaning Hanada and his friends a torch, but he wouldn't give it back and a fight broke out. CCTV footage presented at trial captured the brawl spilling across the lawn and then the glint of a knife in Hanada's hand. The pair move out of shot, but 33 seconds later, Hanada is seen again. This time, the knife is covered in blood. 
Nanny Moiwaka says not a day goes by without people, young and old, stopping at the scene to pay their respects. It affected the people knowing it was a child. It was children. So we're all saying in here, what, what the heck's happening up there? They never, ever, ever should have happened. Kelly Donner's murder shocked the community, but it wasn't the first with links to Flaxmere, as Crown Prosecutor Steve Manning told the court at Hanada's sentencing. This is the fourth teenager to be sentenced for murder in the Napier District Court in the last 12 months. The preceding three, sir, were aged 19, 17 and 17 respectively, and they had much in common with this defendant. They came from the same area, they met the same demographic description, they came from what could be described loosely as a family with significant parental neglect, they were involved from an early age with drug and alcohol consumption, and one or more of them, sir, was uh, affected by the reality of having had a mother who was drinking alcohol when pregnant. Detective Inspector Mike Foster, who oversees all homicides in Hawke's Bay, outlines the other cases. Around Waitangi Day last year, Mark Beale was, was at Halmawana Beach and came across um, Johnny Punavia. And there was an incredibly violent exchange where Mr Beale was beaten to death. Uh, basically, it was, a, it was a senseless and extremely violent uh, homicide. Um, last year, around December, a young Indian national was lured and driven out to, to Terra in his own car and he was violently uh, murdered uh, out in the country. That was an, an incredibly violent and an incredibly sad uh, homicide. I mean, all homicides are sad anyway, but this was, this was a particularly nasty one. The teenagers behind the two-tita homicide were Rosie Lewis and Sean Kadodia, both 17 at the time. Rosie Lewis made contact with their victim, Sandeep Demon, on Tinder, but it was Sean Kododia who held the knife. He stabbed Mr Demon and stomped on his head, all of this over a car, a 2006 Toyota Paso worth a few thousand dollars at best. At sentencing, Justice Simon France said anyone who heard the facts would struggle to believe them. Both teenagers were jailed for life, with minimum non-parole periods of 11 and 12 years. Mike Foster says youth violence is growing, with more aggravated robberies and young people often inflicting as much damage as possible. Mr Foster says such senseless violence is shocking but not surprising. There are a lot of young people now growing up in situations in their home where there's a lot of family violence. There's no love. Uh, in the household. There may be two, three generations of unemployed in the household. And when you have that coupled with a lack of education, I believe that there's a lot of young people at the moment that just don't have empathy. And I think with, with all three of these cases that I just spoke about, there's, there's been a real lack of uh, empathy. They've been cruel, uh, they've been incredibly violent uh, to these people and they simply don't care. Driving through Flaxmere, the streets are lined with one-storey houses on small sections. There's a small park shadowed by mature trees and colourful council garden beds. Driving through the village, you round the corner to find the Flaxmere police station. Ross Stewart is one of the country's longest-serving youth officers. He retired in July last year after 45 years in the force, much of it in youth services and based in Hawke's Bay. 
I asked him to describe the community, and like everyone I speak to, he says it's a good place with good people. I think it's a caring community. Uh, before, Because I've worked out here at the Flaxmere Police Station, and what struck me is I think they are open and honest about their feelings. Um, and I'd walk in uniform around the Flaxmere Township, and people would say hello, kia ora, kia ora, all the time, no matter what their status was. You know, even gang members would say kia ora. If I walk through some of the more affluent places in Hastings, I don't think I'd get the same response. So it is, it's a, it's a nice place. Yeah, it's got its problems, because it's a low socioeconomic area. But it's not a bad place. And I think that's, that's the great fallacy. Ross Stewart doesn't see Flaxmere as a dangerous place, but this doesn't mean kids don't carry weapons. Police and youth services were becoming concerned at the number of young people who were carrying knives just because. And some of the reasoning for why they were carrying it was for protection. The reality was that there was no more danger here in Flaxmere than anywhere else and Hawke's Bay. Uh, but of course the, the dilemma is if you're carrying a knife and you produce it when you're in a conflict, invariably you may end up using it or someone will take it off you and use it on you. And, and some of the knife carrying may have been a bit of bravado, but there was always that fear which transpired with um, this homicide that someone was going to end up getting seriously hurt or killed. He says it's easy to blame Hami Hanada, but the picture is much bigger. He is a product of us, our society. It's really easy to go, oh, he's a product of his family, or he's a product of Flaxmere. But we've all got our part to play. And I think if we have a look at Hami, his life is a series of chapters um, and events that go way back beyond his birth. And they've all culminated in what happened here. A disproportionate number of babies are born into poverty in Hawke's Bay. A report from a child and youth research service based at the University of Otago says 38% of the region's children are born to mothers in the most deprived areas, more than 10% more than the national average. Orangatamariki figures show Hawke's Bay, which is part of the Wellington East Coast region, tops the charts for the numbers of young people being detained. So I've got some figures around number of children, uh, young people in custody. We're the highest, of course. In the country? Yeah, Wellington East Coast area. As of 30th of June last year, in Hastings there were 218, and in Napier there were 200. There were 1,160 children in the custody of Orangatamariki in the Wellington East Coast region at the end of June last year, well above the next highest figure of 754 in South Auckland. More than 900 children were also in out-of-home placements, almost double the number in South Auckland. And while there isn't data specific to Flaxmere, Carol Kitson, Orangatamariki's regional manager, says the Hastings district has the highest number of children in custody. Sam Tiukas worked in the community for more than 40 years and has managed the Hawke's Bay region for a decade. 
He says a large proportion of Oranga Tamariki's work lies in Flaxmere, which has a population of roughly 10,000, and it's the same families that are stuck in the system. You know, what you notice is the generations that are coming through, and some of the families I've worked for, worked with in the um, sort of Department of Social Welfare Ward or, or uh, Department of Labour, um, the same families, or they may be children of or grandchildren of. It's the same family names that are popping up. Um, some of those names that, that you've mentioned that I've worked with before or different parts of the families. Entire families moved to Hastings and Napier during the urban drift to find employment in local industry. But more than 1,500 lost their jobs in 1986 when the Whakatū Freezing Works shut its doors. Thousands more were lost roughly 10 years later when the Tōmoana Freezing Works closed. A high percentage of Māori were employed at the meat works and the community was disproportionately affected by the closures. Mr Tiuka says its effects are still being seen today. You know, what, what you would have noticed back when the freezing works were, were operating um, and the dad was, you know, earning a wage, things went, ran really smoothly. So you find that normally when families are struggling, that's when some of these things around domestic violence and that sort of stuff happens when there is employment, some of those social issues that, you know, that we now experience, they weren't so prevalent. As a new agency, Oranga Tamariki, formerly known as Child, Youth and Family, is working to bring a greater focus on prevention. It's a move that's mirrored in the police force. What does a normal day look like for you? My normal day? Yeah. Depends, eh? So it's quite, it varies. Most of them, obviously, my work's all geared around dealing with young people. Jason Evans is one of five youth aid officers in Hawke's Bay and worked the closest with Hami Hanada. He can't speak about the specifics of the case, but says family harm is the common denominator in serious youth offending. It's when the dynamics of you in the home aren't working, mum and dad, or brothers and sisters are arguing and it escalates the violence quite often. Young kids are seeing this and they get traumatised, eh? So what happens is if they see it all the time, it becomes normal. I presume your mum and dad never argued a huge amount. They would argue, but mum and dad, would, mum and dad wouldn't give mum a crack. Uh, these kids see that all the time. So they get what they call traumatised and used to it, you know? So violence becomes normal, which isn't what we want. So... That's why there's a direct link with family harm to a lot of youth offending. Hawke's Bay has one of the highest rates of family violence in the country. Mr Evans says working with families and making sure kids are in school is the key to keeping them out of trouble. If kids, mum and dad or someone's got on the turps early hours of the morning, come home on a Wednesday, wake up to home, Poor little Johnny's sitting at home, he gets woken up, goes to school, you know, woken up at 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning, goes to school, uh, he's angry, tired, you know, don't take much for a young fella to, to lose the plot. He wakes another kid, or hits another kid, at worst or something, he gets stood down, you know, so then he's not going to school. So there's, you know, how we manage all that stuff with our community partners is, is the key. I'm Annika Smith and you're listening to an insight exploring why four teenagers connected to the Hastings suburb of Flaxmere have murdered in just over a year.
The links between family violence and youth offending have been known for some time, but many argue they're not taken seriously enough. In Auckland, Judge Tony Fitzgerald, who sits in the youth court, has written about how youth offending often flows from a traumatic life of abuse and neglect. And while a young person's prospects may be bleak, he argues this common backdrop doesn't have to determine a young person's destiny. Working at the coalface of efforts to change the trajectory of young lives is the Hawke's Bay District Health Board's paediatrics service. I'm Russell Wills. I'm a community and general paediatrician at the Hawke's Bay District Health Board. I'm working in the hospital I was born in. Um, Dr Wills says Hawke's Bay is a challenging place to work in paediatrics. Hawke's Bay has one of the poorest populations of children in the country. About a third of children in Hawke's Bay are born to the three poorest income deciles. The Eastern Police District, of which we're a part, has the highest workload of family violence in the country and one of the few areas that's actually had an increase in workload. He says neurodisabilities, like fetal alcohol spectrum disorder, further complicate things. In Hanada's case, the court heard he had alcohol-related neurodevelopment disorder, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder and a low IQ. Dr Wills says children affected by alcohol before birth and who suffer FASD can be impulsive, often don't understand the consequences of their actions and struggle to learn from their mistakes. He says they're more likely to be involved in serious crime, but a criminal justice outcome is not inevitable if early intervention is made. This is a severe, permanent brain injury that is 100% preventable. We know that we have very high rates of hazardous drinking in New Zealand, including for young women of childbearing age. We know that three-quarters of, of women who are pregnant stop drinking as soon as they know they're pregnant. There's also a group of women, a small group, maybe one in six or thereabouts, who continue to drink hazardously. And that group need a different approach, they need different support. Many of them have terrible trauma in their childhood. Many of them are self-medicating for anxiety or depression or childhood trauma. And simply asking them or telling them to stop drinking just doesn't work. Across the road from the Hawke's Bay Hospital is Te Manapo, a pilot programme trying to do just that. Julie Oliver-Bell and her team work with pregnant women or parents with under threes Hi. who struggle with alcohol and drug addictions. So this is us at Te I'll just show you around. It was decided to have a space because we have a clinical area. It was decided to have a space that actually women could come, parents could come into our service because we're based across from the hospital. Um, it was important that they could come in. Sometimes it's not always safe for us to go to their homes to visit. Tiara Manapo has been running since 2017 and specialises in working with people who are difficult for other services to find. We always say if we can't find them we must be, have the right client base and actually the ones that we've been able to engage with have made some amazing changes. Our women, like I say, are amazing. They're strong, they're actually really, really resilient but their lives are often out of their control and our, our role is to help them get some control back over their lives. The pilot program is a judgment-free zone, with staff carrying light caseloads so they can go the extra mile. 
Ms Oliver Bell says most of her clients are dealing with intergenerational drug use and people often wrongly assume they have a choice in their addictions. It's difficult because I think when you're looking at a parent or a pregnant mum using substances, of course we want them to stop. They want to stop. You know, they don't want to, but actually if we look at what's behind the addiction, and it's often the trauma, and it's the intergenerational, you know, trauma and abuse that they've come through, and a lot for a lot of them they're self-medicating. So actually to just stop, you've got to deal with actually what's behind all of that. She says the ultimate goal is to keep babies with their parents. People think, oh, if they just get love from anybody, that's going to be okay. But actually for a lot of kids, they still want mum and dad. And they still, yeah, they love that love, but actually what they want is that love from mum and dad. And what we want is that to happen, but to happen safely. So um, our goal is to keep the family, the whānau together. It's definitely not about splitting up a whānau, but it's about the safest way possible. Someone who knows a thing or two about fostering children is Hinari O'Keefe. Mr O'Keefe has a saying. He married his wife Pam in 72 and they both married Flaxmere shortly after. Over the years, they've fostered more than 200 children. He's hoping they'll get to London in July to see their adopted son, Philip Rhodes, make his Covent Garden debut. Philip Rhodes is now an internationally acclaimed opera singer, but Mr O'Keefe says the odds were stacked against him. He's broken all the rules. He's, he's by all accounts, he should be in jail. He should be a, 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 a white beater. He should be a, an alcoholic. You know, that, that was his lineage. That was his papa. Uh, but instead he's a famous opera singer, just travelling the world, <laughs> living the dream. So, you know, there's no such thing as a bad baby. They're not born like that. They are not born like that. No one can convince me that a baby's born bad. No one can convince me of that. And he worries about how Flaxmere will be affected by this murder, a community that in his eyes does so much good. Oh, our reputation plummeted. There's no two ways about that, whether we care to admit it or not. It just affirmed what a lot of people were thinking, that incident. It, it just, oh, yeah, oh, what did I tell you? What did I tell you? It's true. Bad buggers. <laughs> That's what it did. They see a death, an innocent, innocent, beautiful man was taken, and that's what they see, and, and who could convince people otherwise? On a sunny Thursday afternoon, I find a group of boys sitting on a park bench outside the Flaxmere Community Centre and ask them what they think about their home. Uh, it's cool, it's kind of dangerous, um, and it's amazing, it's cool. Why do you say it's dangerous? Um, because there's um, people stabbing and mongrel mobs and, oh, and robbing and robbing, yeah. And smashing and windows. smashing windows. Yeah, and all Stealing cars. Yeah. Stealing money. Hustling. Hustling for money. Yeah. What do you do for fun? Play. Oh, we just play games. Yeah, we just go play. Go outside, play with our dog. Yeah. Play, um, we just go, go to the, the pools. Yeah, we're going to the river today. And we're going to have fun there. Mr O'Keefe, a Hastings District Councillor for the area, founded the Flaxmere Boxing Academy and runs the annual Flaxmere Heroes Calendar to shine a light on the positive in the community. 
He says kids, now more than ever, need love, and they need it from their parents. I know it sounds like a cliche, but it's true. You know, on more than one occasion, like the home that we fostered out of was bigger than this. had a rumpus room, had about 12 bedrooms, had a nice fire line. It was nice, all the trappings. It had to be, you know. And yet, we had the odd child run away. Run away from that, from the three square meals a day, the fire, the warmth, the love. They ran away, they ran back to their parents. Because that was their first love. No matter what the circumstance, they just wanted to be with mum and dad. After Kelly Donner was murdered, the Hastings District Council appointed three kaitiaki, or guardians, to the Flaxmere Community Centre. Their days vary from shooting hoops with children and helping them with their homework to having a cup of tea with elders. They also connect people who walk through the doors asking for help to the right social services. Tahima Cooper, who is known as T, has lived in Flaxmere for 46 years and stands as the longest serving kaitiaki. To me it's not a programme. To me it's actually... um it's actually a privilege to actually wear this name. Uh, the name Kaitiaki is, is uh, Guardian. And to be known as a guardian for our people and of our whenua, which is our land and our iwi, that's our people and, and everything that goes on out there, it's a privilege. It's actually a privilege. The Kaitiaki programme is so successful, the council expanded the team from 3 to 15 and rolled it out across the entire Hastings district. Jacoby Poulain, a councillor for the Flaxmere Ward, says the emotional support the kaitiaki provide is why they've been so successful. The kaitiaki, in my view, is one of the ways that council has come aboard to provide the community with a positive presence. So safety was the first need then, but further beyond that, one of the aims is, is to get our youth into more productive um, initiatives and avenues. For instance, getting them into jobs, getting them into employment, getting them off the street to come into our facilities so um, that they can lead positive lives in the future. She says Kelly Donner's death was a horrific event for his family and the community. Kaitiaki T says Kelly Donner's murder has brought the community together. Since the, the death of Brother Kelly, um, he actually brought the community a lot closer together. I mean, it had to be a tragedy to do that. Um, on the night of his death, I, I was actually at the, the Hakari that they had the, and the blessing of the ground. And to actually see the community get together and behind each other, all different races. You know, you had, you had, you had people from uh, Samoa, Tonga, Asia, Kiwis, ourselves, as well as the Pākehā people as well, all together. Um, it brought us together. And with this community centre here, it's bringing us back together as well. It's a small step in the scheme of things, but everyone involved believes they have a part to play in shaping the next generation. That programme was written and presented by Annika Smith. If you'd like to podcast some more long-form journalism, you can head to our page at rnz.co.nz forward slash insight, Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Next week, Insight takes a look at the New Zealand businesses lining up to make the most of any possible cannabis law change.
I'm Philip Italy, and that's all from Insight for today. Lovely to have you with us, and do join us again next time.